Phantomaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and uh, I am recovering from COVID, or, or specifically the Omicron variant, which is not as cool as it might sound like it is. Uh, and actually, I'm hang on, I'm looking it up right now because I always want to say Omnicron, but it's Omicron. I was correct. Uh, My voice is not what I like it to be to the point where I couldn't do a full episode this week. Uh, I'm I'm out of toy reviews on the Needless Things YouTube channel. Please go check that out this week. I put up reviews for the Mysteries of Grayskull PowerCon set and... Sorry, there might be a a few more water breaks than normal uh, during this intro. Uh, So the Mysteries of Grayskull Power Con set from Masters of the Universe Origins and the newest wave of Masters of the Universe Origins. So go check those out on the Needless Things YouTube channel. And I'm hoping in the next couple of days I'll have enough voice back for, you know, a nice 15-20 minute review because I'm out. I'm, I'm out of backlog, so... And I've got a lot of new stuff I've been sitting on for the past week that I can't review or I haven't been able to review because of this business. Uh, Everybody, please uh, get your boosters, wear your masks, stay home unless you do not have a choice. This this thing is bad. And I mean, I'm, I'm vaccinated and it hit me bad, bad last Thursday. Uh, I had to leave work because I was... I don't know how to describe it. I, I knew I was going to be incapable of anything uh, very soon. So I had to get out of work. I came home and I was in bed for three days straight, basically unable to function in any significant way. Uh, I had a doctor's appointment that Friday and then I got my prescriptions on Sunday. And once I got some prednisone into my system, I. I started feeling better. Uh, Sunday and Monday were still pretty rough. And then Tuesday and yesterday were, I feel much, much, much better, but I'm still just weak as hell, feel just ragged and rough. Uh, and I have my job is you have to be out for 10 days from 10 days after the initial date of symptoms. So I've got a few more days off, and I'm very thankful for that because, like, if I had to, I could probably work this weekend, but it's it's probably best if I don't. This thing is, when it hits, it's really debilitating, and apparently it's a lot worse for some people. It's not as bad for some people. You don't know. Uh, but I'm I'm urging everyone to please be safe uh, and and take care of each other. Be responsible. Look out for each other. Uh, this is, this is no joke. It's not the sickest I've ever been, but it's pretty darn close. Uh, so there you go. So that's what's going on with me. And that's why this week on the podcast, rather than a regular episode, it was going to be our needless commentary. And obviously I had to cancel recording of that, excuse me, because of all this. 
Uh, that'll be postponed. We're, we're, we've got to get it out there because you know it has to happen. We've got a regular January date here, you guys. So we're, we're it's going to happen. Uh, just once, once everything is you know stable. Uh, but I, I don't even have enough voice. I, I'm pushing it here with my normal like ten or fifteen minute intro. We'll we'll see. Uh, but there's no way I can do a full episode this week. So instead, you are getting the best of Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. Uh, Every month, you may or may not be aware of this, I would imagine you're aware of this, Uh, myself and Noel and Christian record Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, And uh, if you've never checked it out, this is your opportunity to hear some of the most fun segments we've done since the show started. I'm putting together uh, kind of a, a best of uh, most fun things to give you an idea of what we do, what we talk about. Uh, probably won't be any like news in, the, in there or anything, but we've got segments that we do that focus on G.I. Joe uh, in the past and the present. And uh, I think you guys will enjoy it. And it's and it's what we've got for this week because that that was it. I had no options, you guys. And, it's, you know, I'm not saying this is a bad option. It's just I was like, well, what can we do that will still be fun and that will not be just skipping a week because I really, really didn't want to do that. Okay, so uh, clearly I need to move on. There, there's a lot of stuff I want to discuss, but I just this isn't the week for it, you guys. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, thank you for supporting the show. Join the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group. Uh, please check out Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. Like, subscribe, share, tell your friends about all that. Uh, Needless Things YouTube channel with uh, toy reviews. Every single week, uh, sometimes four, sometimes two. You never know. It just depends on how much stuff rolls into the Phantom Zone every week. So, uh, you guys, thank you. Uh, Stay safe. Be responsible. Um, Make your decisions with love and care and uh, not with selfishness and uh, childish uh, resistance. Uh, do, do, Do what's right. So there you go. And now kick back, uh, grab yourself some Yojo Cola, and enjoy myself, Noel, and Christian talking about some of the best of G.I. Joe. Thanks, you guys. In every episode of the Audible Interlude podcast, we will be bringing you a review of some form of G.I. Joe media, whether it's comics, whether it's cartoons, whether it's one of the movies, or whether it is an audio-only mission, such as the one that was included in 1986 with the G.I. Joe Special Mission Brazil Toys R Us exclusive action figure set. And we are kicking this thing off with a real humdinger, let me tell you. Uh, when is the last time you guys heard this, or had you ever heard this? It had been a First few time. years for me. Now, did you have the Special Mission Brazil set when you were kids? Oh, Lord, no. I'd be a, I'd be a rich man. <laughs> so, I had the Special Mission Brazil set. When I was a kid, my mom uh, kind of randomly got it. I I, I want to say 
that I came home from school one day and she had it waiting for me and it blew my mind because these were repaints of Joe's that I was already familiar with. And then a, a new character, uh, Claymore, who was the leader <coughs> of this special mission. Uh, and it was a unique piece in that it included this cassette tape that was an audio adventure that was not available anywhere else. And it was just a cassette, no, no case, no nothing. And it's a seven minute and 41 second, almost like a radio play. Like if you, you know, if you're familiar with Dr. Who, you know, they do, they still do the audio broadcast back in the day. You had sort of radio plays that people would listen to before television. And then even when we were kids, uh, you would have sort of the golden books that would come with 45 records and things like that. Like it was very common for toy lines to have uh, tie-ins that were just audio, you know, usually a record, but cassettes later on. Uh, So Noel, you said you had heard it. Did you hear it from Yojo? Uh, yeah, probably, because it, it's been a few years since the first time I listened to it. said I never never heard it as a child, and then uh, I was like, oh, someone put the audio up, and I powered through it once <laughs> and did it again here recently. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, what about you? What was your awareness level of, of this adventure and this set You know, prior to, to this? Yeah, so this is one of those things I did not know existed before or i had totally forgotten about it uh until you you mentioned um so it definitely was my first time listening to it um and it's been on repeat ever since can't quite figure out (laughs) if i'm enjoying it that much or if it's uh if i'm torturing (laughs) myself um because because i'm sure we'll get it we'll We'll get into the music, but I'm telling you, listeners, if you haven't, if you haven't listened to this, it's eight bit GI Joe meets Pitfall. It's <laughs> it's better than Fat Labrador. Uh, it's so synthy. So and, and look, I got nothing. I got nothing against synth, but it is just grating. Just the the pitch and the tone and everything about it the whole time. So for the listeners, but when you if if you have oh. not heard this. Uh, you can go to yojo.com and search for Special Mission Brazil, and they actually have this audio uploaded. Now, it occurred to me that I could probably just play it here and not suffer any kind of copyright issues, but we're trying to be as friendly to the Internet as we possibly can, so no copyright infringement, no cursing. We're we're good boys here on the G.I. Joe Audible Interlude podcast. Uh, but you can go to Yojo, they have it uploaded there, you can download it, you can listen to it, stream it, whatever you need to do before you hear our, our review here. So, I, you know, I'm most curious, Christian, going into this, not really even being aware of this set, much less this audio adventure, when this thing started playing, what was your first thought? Uh, my first thought was, where's the book that goes with this? Right. Uh, because there are, it just, it it's lacking a visual that, that growing up in that era, like you said, you know, that you were used to cassettes and books, records and books. So 
uh, I kept thinking, is there stuff that I'm missing because I'm not looking at the pictures of what this book is? Because there's a lot of jungle drums and, and, and music playing where nobody's really saying anything. So what? But then again, uh, also, by today's standards, uh, there's a little bit of a sensitivity issue uh as soon as they said savage natives i was like yeah, <laughs> yeah. i i'm hoping uh god i wonder what that artwork was that would be um, the, that would be the tupi guatane tribe <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> who who so. are the the biggest threat of the entire adventure in order or to to sum it up for the listeners uh claymore and our Joe team of dial tone, mainframe, wetsuit, leatherneck. Oh gosh, and one more. Uh, Claymore, dial tone, mainframe, wetsuit, leatherneck. Oh, is that it? You... Yep. Yeah. Just the, okay. Uh, our team have been dispatched to Brazil, home of the lethal Tupe Guatane tribe, to recover the Voltronic something or other i've listened to this a dozen times since we've discussed doing a review and i still don't know what the second word they say is voltronic there's galvanitator i don't know they do don't do a very good job of equalizing the background music to the (laughs) voice actors which they might have been doing because of the voice actors performances now i will say that you say voice actors I'm not convinced there are multiple voice actors. <laughs> I think it's entirely possible. But this is what I picture. So when I was a little kid, because I've always wanted to be a voice actor, even when I was a little kid, and I when I played with my G.I. Joes, I did my best to imitate the voices in the cartoon. So I'd be like a little kid trying to do Destro's deep voice and whatever. This is what I picture is there's just basically a grown-up me imitating all these voices. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. kind of got the same uh, one, maybe two max, because you know they they had to pay those people, and I didn't figure they they were gonna spend a lot of money on voice talent for a seven and a half minute long audio cassette. Well, and that's true. They they have at least one male and one female because Baroness is a a female voice actor. Yes, probably the one that that sounds closest to the uh, uh, the the voice we're more familiar with too. Yeah, yeah. Although Cobra Commander is giving it his best Chris Lada. I mean, <laughs> it's a value. Dude was effort. trying. Because that sort of surprised me. I thought, much like the records we had when we were kids, it would be totally unrecognizable voices going in a totally different direction. And yet, they were trying to make it sound like the cartoon. So it, it's off enough that it's, when you're listening to it, it's just like. Okay, what? You know, well, if you ever heard the Listen and Fun tape that came with Tripwire a couple years before this, those voices were t- uh, completely indistinguishable from the from the real things. Uh, Cobra Commander sounded like he was doing a bad Peter Lorre impression the whole time. <laughs> so this this is this is a vast improvement over that, but still not very good. Oh well, dear! This this one had the benefit of the show had been on for a little while at this point, and they had a frame of reference because even even Dial Tone and Mainframe kind of sound like they sound on the show a little bit like there's clearly an effort being made whereas although with, wetsuit sounds like leatherneck uh, yeah wet they they 
get those a little mixed up. But uh, yeah, the listening fun at that point, the the cartoon was so fresh. I, I doubt the per- whoever did that even had a frame of reference for what the characters should sound like. Uh, the lasers. Can we talk about the lasers? Uh, and then the 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 one reference outside of uh, Cobra Commander Baroness Destro um, uh, of the Vipers, they reference the Vipers, and then they also reference the Tomahawk uh, as the extraction mm-hmm. for the Joes. Once once they because you know Cobra retreats as as That's... soon as the as soon as there's any threat <laughs> yeah. whatsoever. Cobra's yeah, the, the whole story is there? Cobra retreats. Yes, and uh, and the Tupa Tupe. Tupi Gawatne are the imminent threat that the Joes must get the Voltronic Disseminator or whatever it's called and get the heck out of Dodge before they show up and they summon the Tomahawk Chopper and of course it arrives just in time and the entire last minute and a half of this adventure, of this 7 minute and 41 second adventure is the narrator saying, once again the G.I. Joes have narrowly escaped <laughs> like, oh, I mean it's, it's, and then there's the last 30 seconds are the theme again and the narrator gave it more gravitas than any of the performers I, I actually have it written in my notes here uh, that this was just a sleepy off day for Cobra because nobody had their coffee. Well, yeah, like, every when time they're like, oh, Cobra. we should retreat, and Cobra Commander's like, yeah, <laughs> we can come back another day. <laughs> Cobra. Cobra. <laughs> it's fun. And actually, I'm like, going to throw it in the, during the podcast at some point because I think I can get away with half a second of audio. Uh, I, I will put the the rallying Cobra cry in here. <laughs> I mean, I laughed out loud at work, and everyone's like, are you okay? I'm just like, Cobra. <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost like the, the um, during the, the 1987, the movie, during the theme song where it says, Cobra, Cobra. Hmm. It's almost like that every time they say Cobra, like that down note. Cobra yeah, cry. like it's Christmas morning and Cobra Commander went to the tree and he has no presents and he's just like Cobra. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's so lackadaisical. I, I think what is amazing is this is only seven and a half minutes long. It's you know it's essentially one third of an episode of the cartoon. Uh, it feels three times longer than any episode of the Hasbro <laughs> cartoon, uh, uh, the Sunbow cartoon, somehow. Um, and still, even with that short time frame, and you kind of brushed on it earlier, Christian, there are swaths of area, swaths of uh, periods of this tape where it's just synth music <laughs> for like ten or fifteen <laughs> seconds, with no sound effects, with no voices. It's just, <laughs> I, I, how how could something that short be that? dull and the story is so really non-existent that it just here's some voices and here's your basic setup and then cobra treats and then it's <laughs> yeah. i i definitely came up with better missions than this when i was <laughs> you know a, a nine-year-old kid so in closing on our review uh i'm not going to ask us to do any kind of star system or anything uh but we're, we're just going to go with recommended or not and I'm going to say 
recommended only because it's such an interesting slice of G.I. Joe Real American Hero history and because everybody who's any kind of G.I. Joe fan needs to hear this theme song. Uh, Christian, Agreed. what about you? Where do you where do you rate this? Recommended or not? One hundred percent recommended for the music alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Noel? Oh yeah, it's. I mean, you you have if you're a Joe fan and you never heard this, you have to listen to it. It's just just to kind of see what all was out there. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if you're just if you're just used to watching a Sunbow cartoon or reading a com- uh, Larry Hound comic book back in the '80s, then there were there was other media, and uh, this. <laughs> This certainly was one of them. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, next time we should we should review side two of the cassette, which is seven and a half minutes of, of blank audio for you to record your own adventure. You, you know what? I think that's a good idea. I think we should each record our own adventure, uh, and we will play those because those we can play. <laughs> Uh, as the in the coming months on the Audible Interlude podcast, I think that's a great idea, Noel. There you go. Audio treats, and we're good. All right. So uh, now are, we're going to go into the Springfield Showdown segment of the show. Uh, in this segment, we're going to have two characters. Uh, each one of our panelists is going to pick a character. Uh, those they're going to they're going to plead their case on that character, and they're going to have them face off. And then the third panelist, in this case me, is going to determine who's going to win that Springfield Showdown. So take it away, Dave. All right. So my my competitor this month is going to be none other than the Dreadnought Buzzer! (laughs) Buzzer is a vicious, mindless brute. He's borderline insane. He's got a chainsaw. He's got a gas can. He's got some kind of crazy hatchet on a chain with a handle thing. He's a madman. He would be unstoppable in hand-to-hand combat. All right. Buzzer right. is a formidable op- opponent. Is that uh, is that uh, your case for Buzzer? Well, so far, so far, we've got to let right. Christian uh, put forth his competitor. All right, Christian, yeah, yeah, yeah. Formidable in hand-to-hand combat, but he's got to get close to me first, which is why I went a little deeper uh, into the Cobra ranks and went with Metalhead. Oh. I have rockets on my back, rockets on my legs. I have a pistol. <laughs> you are not getting anywhere near me. My mind is always racing and calculating wind speed, trajectory, distance between me and my opponent. And best of all, my rockets are voice activated. So I don't have to try and fumble with my hands. You can come up on me, and all I have to do is look you right in the eyes and say, bang, and you are being blown to smithereens. I will posit this. Buzzer's a, a, a crazy wild guy. He's a partier. You find him in a bar, and if you're not on his bad side, maybe you want to hang out with this guy. He's going to buddy up to you. He's going to say, hey, metal 
What's going on, mate? Fancy some grape soda? Come on over here. We'll hang out and party. And then when you sit down, you let down your guard. He's going to take that chainsaw and stick it right in your back and cut you in half. I don't trust anybody. All right. We've got to leave it to the judge. Oh, wow. So, uh, interesting, uh, interesting choices there. Um, both, uh, very strong cases. Um, I, I gotta, I gotta say, um, I did appreciate the buzzer, uh, impression. That was, that was pretty spot on. Um, I don't know if that wins you points in this or not. Probably um, not. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I will say also that, uh, what you're talking about buzzer, he, he is someone who spends a lot of time at the bar and uh, I don't know if uh, if if Metalhead does that as much. He's he's too busy tinkering and doing stuff like that to thinking about uh, to, to getting sloppy drunk with his uh, off of grape soda because that's all they drink is grape soda at that's the bar. That's right. Um, so uh, I don't know. Um, I think uh, distance and range ahead. Yeah, I think I, I see think... you walk into that bar, and I just blow it up. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, uh, against a lot of other opponents, Buzzer would have this, but I got to go with Metalhead this week. This and month. Yeah! Tom Savini for the win. <laughs> That's all right, because next month we will be back with another Springfield showdown between two different characters. I also forgot to mention that Metalhead has his own theme song, so that does give him the edge there oh yeah he does get a big competitive edge on that one wait is cold uh, buzzer doesn't get to use cold slither uh <laughs> i guess i guess he shares that with others but metalhead uh, has one that says his name yeah you're right fair enough Welcome, ladies and gents, to an all-new segment here on Audible Interlude, where we're going to talk about relationships in the world of G.I. Joe. That's right, it's time for Love is a Battlefield. So you guys, it's uh, February, love is in the air, romance is in the air, and G.I. Joe, despite being a property aimed squarely at children, was chock full of tension and relationships and <laughs> hotness and feelings many of us learned about love relationships and romance in the pages of larry hama's comic books and on the the uh on the small cells, screen the cells of gi joe a real american hero cartoon we're going to talk about some of the relationships uh that that were portrayed in gi joe and uh, where do you want to? I've been I've been running my mouth all night long. Noel, why don't you start us off with with a, a relationship pick for us to examine? Let's. Well, what's I, the hot goss? Well, I, I was looking at it and looking at all the all the different relationships that have been established over the years, and really, there's two that are kind of universally accepted through just about all media. Um, so. Of course, I think number one is going to be Baroness and Destro because they are, with a couple of exceptions, they're almost always linked together romantically in G.I. Joe fiction. 
Um, and, and it's interesting because, you know, they are, he is, of course, this grand arms dealer who is, you got this steel cold heart, but as we've talked about in the silent interlude issue, like he loves that woman. He would do anything for her. Um, and of course, she is also a cold calculating uh, heiress from somewhere in Eastern Europe who is, you know, part of this global domination plot. But hey, once again, she loves her Destro. And uh, they, you know, both in both in the cartoons and the comics, and then in most other later incarnations, with uh, one very large ex- exception in the live action movies, uh, they're romantically linked in some way. Well, even in the live action movie, it was there, but it was this weird Destro being obsessed with her to the point of mind control. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was icky. Yeah, one of the things I did not care for uh, about that particular interpretation. Uh, but yes, Destro and Baroness's love is is strong and at times treacherous. But yes. I do think it's one of the most consistently portrayed relationships in GI Joe. He did kick her aside for Zorana briefly in the DIC series, but you know, <laughs> well, he also straight up dropped her down a trapdoor bed in the cartoon. Yes. Which is pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> That's what I think the relationship is based off of. She is a very strong-willed woman who wants power. So I, I don't think there is any of the uh, the weak female tropes when it comes to the relationship. Of I think behind closed doors it's him trying to one-up her and her trying to one-up him the whole time. And that's what turns them on. Right. Right. That's their, that's their thing. That's what they're into. Mm-hmm. Like it, it may appear on the outside, like sometimes they're stabbing each other in the back or whatever, but they always come back together. Yep. Even in the episode where, you know, she, she, she disguises herself. Uh, well, we just talked about it. It's the, uh, Oh shoot! Oh, it's, the, yeah, it's it's the, the we talked about it for Halloween. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and he somehow doesn't recognize her, even though he's very clearly, you know, sort of fooling around. At the end, they're still together. <laughs> what is uh, what's the other one? The other one that's pretty well universally established is Flint and Lady J. Yes, because they were together yeah. in Marvel comics. They were together in the cartoon, and and again in most other media, they're portrayed as being a, an item. Either, either they are an item or they're just kind of not portrayed romantically at all. I think they're the healthiest portrayed couple. Yeah, and I always love their... Because Joe. they were both like overachievers. Uh, you, read the, you read their file cards and they're just... They're both like almost perfect characters. Um, so, you know, it, it, it makes sense that they, would, that they would find one another and, you know, being the most educated members of the team and, you know, both very highly skilled soldiers... Well, and their relationship never felt forced to me. It always felt kind of organic. And any time they were depicted together, it just seemed like, well, yeah, that makes sense. It didn't mm-hmm. feel like the weird Duke and Scarlet thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Which was never, a Duke and Scarlet was never explicitly stated as being a romantic relationship. If you really go back and watch those cartoons, they're playful and they flirt with one another, but they never kiss the closest thing you get is in the movie where she's grieving over him 
slipping into a coma. <laughs> right. But it's still, as a comic book reader, it, it, Duke was out of his lane. Well, and it's a comic book. Is it when the comic book Star- Scarlet and Duke weren't ever really? Nope. Well, no. But like, what I'm saying is, as a kid, you're reading the comics and you're watching the cartoon, mm-hmm. and you you want to reconcile them to some degree, even though there's so many things that contradict each other. You still kind of want these worlds to work. So when you're invested in the Snake Eyes and Scarlet relationship, as much as you you have to be if you're a comic fan, to see Duke being all flirty flirty with scarlet in the cartoon kind of makes you not like duke well and if you if you think about what duke's character really is intended to be like he is he's this top kick sergeant he doesn't have time to be messing around with with the ladies right so it it doesn't fit his character the way that larry hama wrote it initially um but they did kind of play with it a little bit in it was both in resolute and in um renegades where they kind of teased there was a bit of a triangle going on with those three. And so it's kind of a subtle nod. They didn't really play into it too much, but they did it in both those both those series, which both came out about, what, 12 years ago, 13 years ago? Yeah, it's been a minute yeah. now. And then, of course, there's the triangle from the single greatest internet accomplishment of all time, the ballad <laughs> of G.I. Joe. Yes. <laughs> She's seen the way he looks at Lady J., don't well, and as we established too, uh, in Cobra Claus is coming to town. Uh, he and he and Covergirl get a little flirty sometimes. Oh, yeah, when the that's pilot's a thing. Away. <laughs> Duke is the ladies' man. He gets around. He wants to be. He wants to be. He is not. Even in no. the original, uh, the original Real American Hero, when uh, Duke and and Snake Eyes are are in the arena of sport and they're being forced to fight in gladiatorial combat. Uh, and at the end of it, uh, Duke is there with Scarlet and the little slave girl, Selena. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Snake Eyes is just over there petting his wolf. So yeah. <laughs> Snake Eyes never got any, any love. In the, this is a family show, so that's not a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> so those are, those are kind of the basics we've gotten out of the way. Uh, I will throw in, since, since I sort of tongue-in-cheek mentioned the, the whole Lady J uh, between Duke and Scarlet, which, which by the way, listeners, I'm sure you've watched the Ballad of GI Joe video. Uh, if you have not, stop what you're doing right now, even though it's listening to our show, and go watch that video because it's a masterpiece. Uh, an amazing cast. So, if we're going to mention that, well, we also have to mention Steeler and Alternate World Baroness. Yes, one of the like legit most touching relationships of gi joe so worlds without end uh we've we've discussed as as being the great two-parter that it is and we find out that in this world baroness is working against cobra she's an undercover well I, i guess not even undercover agent like she's deep deep cover and she was involved with that world's stealer who is dead. So when the stealer from the earth that we've been watching for however many episodes ends up in this alternate universe, she loses her shit. And that scene, oh man, I just dropped a <laughs> <laughs> 943. <laughs> 
uh, she loses it. And we get this really touching emotional scene that, you know, we talk all the time about GI Joe being aimed at kids, but there's so many themes that were, the storytelling was very well done and the creators very clearly cared about getting some big emotional important beats in there. And this was one of them because her reaction to seeing her, her uh, romantic partner who, who she thought was dead is, is huge. That also another two-parter that we've talked about extensively on this was there's no place like Springfield where shipwreck is brought back together with Mara, the mermaid girl who he had, who he had met in the past and now coming to realize that she doesn't really exist in this world that he's been believing that she, she's not really his wife. She's a synthoid who is there to, you know, to extract information and possibly kill him. But having gone back and rewatched that episode, knowing that we were doing this Valentine's Day thing, um, it, there are parts of classic shipwreck of th- there's a, a a scene of him and Mara right in the surf and she goes to like jump on him and hug him and he's like ah come on Mara like he is playfully pushing her away and then I think he has this epiphany of oh she can't be turned back into an actual human I can have all the fun I want with her (laughs) and she's going to stay here. And then I can go back to every other woman that I have in every other port and however many parrots. So every other woman he's been harassing throughout the history of the show. Yes. So I, I appreciated that completely because we're like that, that is shipwreck. (laughs) He's he's not going to, sit there and pine for some woman he's gonna let her think it for sure but come on baby hail to the king it's just pillow talk baby <laughs> which is funny because bruce campbell was my shipwreck in my live action Joe yeah I yeah 25 absolutely. years ago yeah that would have been fantastic uh all right what else have we got here okay there is the I don't want to say short-lived, but it, it really only got one opportunity to be featured, and that's Fel- uh, Falcon and Jinx, which was... Yeah, I didn't like that at all. No, because I, it, all I he does I don't like it is, at all watching it now. No, all he does is harass her. Yep. And then, you know, tour, this is from uh, G.I. Joe the movie, the 1987 animated, not theatrical film. Uh, she kind of softens a little bit i don't think they don't ever properly hook up do they uh i can't remember if they i they i think they actually kiss at the end of the movie yeah okay so yeah they they, in 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 80s cartoon terms they do yeah but yeah it's it's very uncomfortable to go back and watch that now because he is he is creeping up behind her while she is, you know, working on uh, as a mechanic and just, it's really uncomfortable. Well, everything about Falcon is awful. Yeah. He's he's one of the worst GI Joe characters of all time. Uh, And, and it stinks because his figure was so cool. 
Yeah, and he didn't have to be. Uh, he was really underutilized in the in the comic just because at that point in time they had so many characters they had to introduce. Yeah, and I think that he, I think that Larry could have written him better if he had a little bit more time to work with him. But yeah, he's awful in the cartoon, and it made me it made me hate the character so much. Yeah. Even even as a kid, when I wasn't really buying into how creepy he was acting towards her, but he's just a he's a, he's a whiny character. He's, he's yeah, he's worthless. He's just they, they tried to do the, the the thing the hot Rod Rodimus Prime with him to make him like the new yeah you know the yeah. The, the young hot headed kid who learns his lesson and you know it's the Luke Skywalker story for the thousandth time, but <laughs> it just didn't work for me. No, I, I agree. I'm on the same page. I, I just didn't like the character. Uh, let's see. What else, what else have you guys got? Well, so I have, uh, again, I think a one-sided love story, but Lifeline and millionaire heiress Bree. Oh, yeah. Where she is so into him and showering him with gifts i mean tiffany makes a gold-plated swiss army knife who knew and i (laughs) the fact that they even said in the cartoon this box in tiffany blue came for you as a kid (laughs) did any of us know what tiffany blue was no (laughs) no i still don't (laughs) (laughs) um and, and i have to say that uh, after again rewatching the the episode to to refresh my my memory, uh, Lifeline is not a jerk in the way that Falcon is, uh, but Lifeline does not come across good in this episode because she is dropping every hint. Uh, ignore the fact that she's sending him pink ambulances or corporate ambulances, or whatever <laughs> it was. Uh, every time she does something great for him, he's like. Yeah, but do you know that those soldiers that put their line out there are the ones who are the true heroes? Which is a good message, but he they have him lay the preaching on so thick during the episode. I think I'd that's like, one of the reasons why I like Life, Life, Lifeline so much was because <laughs> he was just like, yeah, he was like, I don't have time for all this. Right? She's like, oh, you saved me. Here, let me give you a kiss. And he's like, did you know starving children in China don't have food? <laughs> and There's a world I need to save. Hang on. I need to turn on some Sarah McLaughlin music while I lecture you some more. Just like, oh. Meanwhile, Mud's honey, crying walk in the away. background. <laughs> Just. Oh. Uh, I also one of my had, favorites. I, I was going to say one of my favorites that. was the Starcross Lovers of mainframe and yes. Serana. Yes. Oh, exactly. yes. That's where I was headed. Would, next. I, I love like I loved that pairing when I was a kid and it, it worked its way into my own like headcanon when I was playing with my toys. Yeah, 100% and it lasted too. Like it's something that yeah. wasn't just a one-off like one episode thing. It came back around. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it was she, really well done. The the um the youth serum the health club episode like she was dead on part of that plot and then when she saw the mainframe was one of the joes that was affected she's like oh hey here's where you find the antidote like damn yeah she she lets him off the hook a couple of times and what one of the things i liked about it so much is 
we didn't get a ton of characterization out of her aside from her just being uh basically she's one of the dreadnoughts but she's a girl so she's trying to sort of overcompensate in every way like being overly tough overly cool overly whatever uh it, it's kind of the little sister feel which is great but we didn't get much more than that and we got to see a more human side when she, in in her dealings with mainframe that made the character a whole lot more interesting than just sort of the bratty little sister Mm-hmm. And again, it was it was an instance of these creators working more than they really had to into these cartoons. And you could tell too because there there were very few female characters that who had uh, who who had figures to sell. Uh, I'll say uh, yeah. on these on these shows. So the ones that they used, they used quite a bit, and she kind of replaced the Baroness as the the character that you saw putting on putting on a mask and, and a wig yeah. and infiltrating G.I. Joe a lot. So she probably got a lot more characterization than was originally intended when her figure came out. So it was, it was really nice to see that they were able to not just, you know, have her be a one, like a, just a one dimensional character, like they could have done with the, right, with, just a shouting with the female dreadnought. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've got one more. Oh, if you guys, don't have anything else yeah, so, so there's a few others that were like you know brief that weren't quite as memorable as those well this is the most volatile abusive probably troubling relationship one that there was a deep deep love but it was at times hard to watch mutton junkyard Alpine, Alpine and Bazooka. And bazooka. <laughs> that was going to be mine. <laughs> These guys love each other. Alpine would die for Bazooka and vice versa. But Alpine is so abusive <laughs> towards Bazooka. It is, it's, it's hard to watch sometimes. <laughs> it's funny and that's what it was meant to be was bazooka was the comic relief and they dumbed his character down to the point of like ridiculousness like there's no way he could function as a human being let alone as in this elite military unit uh like he didn't use pronouns basically (laughs) but there were more than four words in a sentence he lost track (laughs) He also liked to carry small boys around in his arms as he established. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, as as sort of, you know, like I said, when I was when I was a kid, it was funny. Now you look at it and you're like, "Oof, this is a little rough." But I love it, man. I love their friendship. I love, uh, I love that they have these two dudes that they decided were gonna be best buds and that's their story every time yep hmm. there's one other from the from the uh the comics that i have to talk about which was ripcord and candy apple aka bongo the balloon bear oh my gosh yes yes because and... that one ended tragically 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it was it was a very you know I mean it, tying in the the daughter of essentially the the head crimson guard, uh, you know who's and all involves like Zartan, you know being uh, infiltrating the the pit and I mean there was a very multi level story going on that was really kind of centered around those two characters and their romance. And that went on for a few issues. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just yeah. a one and done. Yeah, it, it, it went on for a bit. And I'm a little ashamed of myself because that's not on my list because I could remember Candy and her ties to Cobra. I could not remember who her love interest was. And I am I have not been at the top of my game for the past few weeks. Been Been knocked out with a little bit of a health concern understandable so i just i did not have it in me to do the research so i was like you know what there's enough other stuff here the guys are gonna have other stuff so we'll we'll be good to go without talking about candy so i'm i'm glad you brought (laughs) that up because i did not remember it was ripcord and it was another one it's another instance where it's so hard to believe that larry hama did not plan at all yeah he just wrote issue by issue because everything Mm -hmm. comes together so well but I guess that's what made those stories so organic is they were just spinning out of him as time went on. Especially those early stories when he had way more room to play before there were just too many characters. Yeah. 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 When he was having to invent characters just for the comics because he needed to flesh out this story. Yeah. Right, that was right. a great problem to have going into you know having, <laughs> having to come up with characterizations for 40 to 50 new characters every single year as he was tasked to do. All right. Well, uh, listeners, please hit us up on Twitter at G.I. Joe Audible. Tell us your favorite G.I. Joe relationship and what you think of the ones that we talked about. And uh, I think it's time to move on to the next segment. Welcome to Instruments of Destruction, where we discuss a vehicle up to and including its appearances in media. And uh, for this one, actually, I went back and forth with a couple of different things that I have added or re-added to my collection recently. And um, one of my favorite toys as a kid, um, it's it's small, it, you know, it, it was you could easily procure it for a dollar eighty when it first uh, was released upon the world in 1984. Um, but it it was such a great little versatile, little tiny little flying machine. Uh, it was used so well in GI Joe media. So I'm going to talk about the Cobra Claw. Um, I didn't really take a lot of notes on the claw. I I grabbed my claw. I'm sitting here looking at it, and I'm just looking at all of the amazing detail on this tiny tiny little flying machine. Um, if you're not aware, the CLAW is, a, is an acronym for Covert Light uh, Aerial Weapon, as many uh, G.I. Joe and Cobra vehicles were given some sort of backronym like that. Um, but in this case, uh, it's, it was kind of like an upgrade to a hang glider. Uh, you, you strapped your figure onto it. They held on to the little the, the little handles in the front. You had a couple of missiles that attached to it. You had some wheels that folded out. Uh, you could also use it as a drone. You could replace your uh, your your figure with a tiny little smart bomb that hung on it. But I mean, it's 
it's almost when you look at this and you realize what the price point of this little tiny thing was back in 1984 when it came out. There's there's so much amazing sculpting. There are moving parts. There are ailerons who that move uh, up and down. There are wings that extend on the sides. Um, this is this is fantastic for what and these things new in the package now you're gonna get you're gonna pay a hundred dollars. Uh, I got really lucky at Joe Fest and I found one that was in that was complete and in really really great condition. Most of the stickers are still like you know in perfectly placed and everything for twenty dollars. Um, and I've been pricing them before that because this is this is one that got so much play when I was a kid that it's in pieces. Um, my original one, so I was very happy to add one back. Um, talk about like how it got used in the media. Um, this was like Cobra Commander's personal uh, craft. I mean, he flew this thing around all the time in the cartoons. Uh, you saw it in the silent interlude episode. It's what uh, uh, Snake Eyes flew down there and, and you know, uh, saved Scarlet and flew her off in the claw. Um, you know, it's, it's such a iconic tiny little vehicle and uh, very, very happy to have one back in my collection and in, in, in complete format. Uh, I used the claw for everything, and it always kind of bothered me that G.I. Joe didn't really have an analog for this because so often they would do that. They would very intentionally have uh, vehicles that kind of opposed each other, whether it was like the Mobat and the Hiss or mm -hmm. the Vamp and the stinger or you know which obviously were much more obvious analogs but the joes didn't i guess the skyhawk or or the okay look mm. this is something i've got to get out <laughs> those those terrible foam core hang gliders <laughs> i get it they're part of the gi joe collection officially Maybe we'll do a Joe or no on those things at some point in the future. Oh, you're, I, you're gonna you're gonna have to go with Joe because of the great figures they came with. I well, and that's the thing is the saving grace are the figures that were included with those hang gliders. Yeah, because those hang gliders I, didn't last. They were three or four plays. Yeah. Um. So Joe didn't really have a, a similar kind <laughs> of of single person flight thing. Yeah, I think the Skyhawk's probably your closest analog to it just because it's a small craft and I can't think of any other Cobra weapon that really was its. Uh, I mean, the trouble, I would put the trouble bubble up against the Skyhawk. That's true. Before the claw, the claw I mean, was just this omnipresent thing. Going back to those first couple of waves, the Joes had the jetpack. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. And, the, and the so, I mean, to me, the, the claw has is a vehicle because it has firepower and everything else going for it and, and so much more fly style. faster and maneuver a bit blah, use my words maneuverability <laughs> um versus the joe's jetpack but then again cobra has destro to invent things for them that's true that's true cobra did from from the, the start cobra had a little bit of a sci-fi edge over the Joes, and that's absolutely what this vehicle is. I love the claw. I have not yet added a vintage one to my collection because I feel like it's one of those things you kind of need to buy in person. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little tough to tell online what you're getting with this one. Uh, and what's it's funny got to so me, so many parts that can be lost, and that's right. really kind of the well, lost the and broken. 
yeah lost um, and broken and but there's i mean it did just just like the the wing extensions and the ailerons those are those are missing from like most of the ones that you see online so what's funny to me uh this is an audio podcast so our listeners cannot see me right now i have just turned around and counted the cobra claws that i currently have hanging from my ceiling i have four now, these cobra are the claws. newer ones though right these are the retools they're the newer ones and they are garbage compared yeah. to this original, which <laughs> I didn't realize until recently that because the original Cobra Claw has um, these parts underneath where the wings are fuller uh, and the newer ones are kind of hollowed out. Uh, they don't have the detail. It's just one piece. It's not two pieces that clip together. Yeah, this the original one was never redone. Uh, it was no. only released in '84. They released the the little mini one in '80, like in '80 or sorry, 2008, uh, and they've re-released that one several times in the 25th and. And I've I've months. got every one that they've re-released, but I like I said, I did not realize until recently how much of a poor imitation this newer one really is it is it's a junkie and, and and don't get me wrong i still think they're neat i still like them and i i like that they're hanging from my ceiling up here but compared to that original claw these are like just they are they're just junky and looking at the one that released in 2008 with the with the the viper figure with it was $16 for that little claw yeah, which right, is essentially right. i mean it's it's essentially an accessory for a figure but the figures at that time were retailing for what 8 8 or 9 dollars um, uh you know what i'm not even sure 2008 no, I don't think they were up to eight or nine dollars yet i wouldn't say they were still like 6 or 7 but i i could okay. be wrong I don't, mm, I don't know because I feel like Star Wars figures were already hitting the eight to ten dollar mark. Back yeah, then, but I remember they started for being while, accessory heavy. And, I remember, you know, with their build a joint parts. I remember for a while, Joe's were still cheaper. Uh, start, there's an easy way to find this out. Yeah, I'm actually go. looking at it right now to see what the 25th anniversary figures were going for in go. 2008 on yojo.com. And apparently, oh, of course, it says NA. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> First figure I picked. Uh, let's look at Major Blood. How much did a Major Blood? Yeah, NA cost? is, NA, is all that's yeah. showing up. Uh, that's disappointing. Oh, well. And I don't remember uh. what I was paying for these specifically at the time. Uh, but but I do remember for a while that even though they were coming with a lot more accessories and had more articulation, Joe's were still cheaper than Star Wars. And I think it was because of the licensing, mm-hmm. because Hasbro owns G.I. Joe, but was is licenses Star Wars. Right. Um, but then eventually G.I. Joe's did make the jump to being, you know, more expensive. But, but I want to say up through 2009, they still weren't approaching that $10 price point. But I, I could be wrong about that. All right. Well, the claw, definitely an awesome instrument of destruction, essential for your collection, whether you have an original or one of the junky new ones or four of the junky new ones like I've got. <laughs> um, although in my defense, they all came with figures that I wanted. 
right. This month, we are reviewing the inspiration for the name of this podcast, the Audible Interlude Podcast. We're reviewing G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, issue number 21 from 1985, Silent Interlude, well, written by Larry Hama, but also something that gets overlooked, I think, quite a bit, Breakdowns by Larry Hama, uh, with finishes by Steve Lealoha and uh, colors by George Russos. Um, a, a landmark, not just issue of the G.I. Joe series, but a landmark in the history of comic books. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was reading from IDW's 2015 hardcover uh, reissue that includes not just a it's it's got the original issue along with some corrections uh it has larry hama's original breakdowns it's got gi joe origins issue nine which was also written by larry hama for idw uh and is another silent issue and uh it's loaded and this is the when i went back to read this this is the first time i'd actually sat down and read all the expanded material in this thing there are tons and tons of great notes and insight about the original Marvel comics and um, some quotes from Larry Hama about why he wrote some of the things he wrote. Uh, this is this is a phenomenal collection here. Have you guys seen this thing? No. No. Uh, it's, I don't know what its available availability is now. I think they might have released a soft cover as well. Uh, but this is this is 100% audible interlude recommended reading uh if you can get your hands on a copy of this i highly highly recommend it uh so what were you guys reading from uh i've got a digital copy i've got the entire original run uh on a digital copy but i've also got this one on paper uh, you know the original book if i wanted to pull it out as well yeah i've got a digital copy that's i thought i still had my original comic but I realized that it my my first run GI Joe collection was a casualty of like car repairs or something else probably 25 years ago. Oh, heartbreaking. <laughs> so, but I I've got I've got a ton of GI Joe comics but I don't have a complete run. I've just anytime I see them I buy them. So I like there's some issues I've got like 5 copies of at this point because they're cheap. You I mean you can just grab them anywhere you see yeah. them. Uh, but I happen to not have an issue of this, although I do have the issue from the G.I. Joe comic three packs um, that was released. So uh, that comes with uh, Snake Eyes, Storm Shadow, and a Red Ninja figure. Very cool set. Uh, but now we need to talk about the comic itself. And, you know, this... Obviously, I've read this tons and tons and tons of times, but I wasn't really necessarily conscious of the fact that Larry Hama was so responsible for the art in it. Did did you guys know that? I knew it to a certain extent. I didn't realize the the reason behind that until seeing Larry talk about it. Um, which, if any if anybody ever gets a chance to see Larry Hama talk about this comic um, on his on a panel, do that. Because it's it gives you so much insight into the thought process behind everything that goes into it. So he basically created this comic in three days. 
from story to the breakdowns that he did, which if you look at them, uh, are, are basically the pencils. Like the very, uh, I'm sure Steve Leloha had to do a lot of work to get it to finished comic book product. But as far as the, it's it's complete panels. Like you look at it and it's the same movement, same characters, same positions, everything. Uh, the, it's not storyboards, it's breakdowns. Uh, but he sat down in a weekend and created this story, which is incredible. Yep, used minimal lines, used very deliberate placement of things to tell the story because you weren't going to be able to, you know, put word bubbles in there. Um, but yeah, it's 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 simple, but it's beautiful. Everything that he's drawn. And what's so amazing about it? It is because when you read a comic book. Uh, you know, you, you typically are following along the word bubbles, and depending on how skilled the artist is, uh, panel by panel, that tells a story as well. If it's a good artist and not somebody who just does a bunch of splash panels. Uh, and with this, obviously, word bubbles and captions are eliminated. We just have the visuals from panel to panel. And it is very clear here, the story. Like, there's there's no difficulty whatsoever following it from beginning to end. And not only that, you're getting nuance from characters. You get actual characterization from Scarlet, from Storm Shadow, uh, who I'd argue you get the most out of them from the whole thing. Uh, Mm Because Snake Eyes is basically just running through, you know, murdering people. But Scarlet and Storm Shadow, like, just using their body language and the expressiveness, well, in Storm Shadow's case, of just his eyes... Uh, which, by the way, this is his first appearance in the comic. You even get some from Destro, too? Yes, absolutely. I, I love the way Hama draws Destro with the openings, the holes in the faceplate. And granted, that's... Yes! To one degree or another, that's done throughout the comics. But just Hama specifically with those rectangular slits and those human eyes behind him um, is just such a fantastic look. Yeah. One thing that's interesting to note, and I was trying so hard here, you guys, because I love my G.I. Joe toys. I sent you guys a message. I said, did you notice that the retro Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes are basically silent interlude figures because at the beginning of this story, Storm Shadow has sleeves. And minus the Cobra marking that's on the new the Walmart exclusive figure, uh, this is basically that figure for him. And then you flip over to Snake Eyes, jumping first shot of him jumping out of the back of the plane, and he's got the same, all the same gear that that figure has, the the leg straps and the backpack and everything else. But then, Noel, you pointed out, this is the commando head, and that figure has the ninja head. Yep, yeah. even though the artwork would not tell you that. Right, right. <laughs> uh, well, same with Storm Shadow, but yeah, yeah, the packaging artwork is def- different than the the figure I'm, in uh, the blister card. I'm definitely like more enthusiastic about that Storm Shadow now that I've seen this one and seen like, okay, this is a significant version of him with the sleeves. Even though the Cobra Tampo is not accurate, it's still very cool to to have a frame of reference for a sleeved Storm Shadow because mm-hmm. I didn't remember that. Uh, as as you were reading this through again, uh, Christian, was there anything that kind of jumped out at you? Yeah, there's a few things. Uh, so 
going back to what you were you were talking about as far as the you know the artwork is able to express the story without any words or captions uh for some of our listeners keep in mind this came out in a time with comics where thought bubbles were so pervasive (laughs) caption boxes were so pervasive so this was was so different than anything else on the stand at the time um and and i'm I'm glad you mentioned the, the destro uh art because my favorite parts of this issue actually are destro sitting at the computer seeing that something is uh on its way and then him with his chess table because right up to this point that that was such a a a plot as far as destro and um and his loyalties as to how much he helps or hinders cobra commander so that he gets what he wants um and and without the words it just i feel like it just packs so much more punch yeah, that one panel of Destro with the chess pieces in front of him, uh, mm-hmm. with Joe and Cobra facing off on the chessboard, like that is such an awesome panel. That that is well, then, close yeah. to tattoo worthy. Too with the the characters that are set aside. These are the characters that are either dead or believed to be dead at this point in the in the story. Uh, and Baroness, uh, in continuity at this point in time, Destro believes her to be dead. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he, him holding the figure of the Baroness as she's, you know, she is believed to be long gone. It's, you know, it's so, you just see so much of the grief uh, in Destro's eyes there. Well, and what's interesting is this is an epilogue to basically the first 19 issues of the comic that culminated in this, this big war that resulted in these casualties of Quinn, Dr. Venom, Baroness, um, and this, this and issue 20 were basically filler issues before the regular story continued. Uh, so this one kind of caps off those first 19 issues. It's, it's, and it's, it's so funny because it works as an epilogue for those, but in introducing this feud between Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes, it also works as a prologue for what would come. Well, and apparently this was also supposed to be just some throwaway issue that got lost. Like Denny O'Neill just lost the original, uh, the original uh, treatment for this for this issue. So that's why they had three weeks to put this together, and that's when Larry came up with the idea of drawing it and everything. So this is this wasn't even supposed to exist. Like right. this was a spur of the moment story that winds up becoming. Uh, kind of the glue that holds G.I. Joe together for the rest of its history. So we've talked about the art, we've talked about the story, which is uh, one of the interesting aspects of the story is it could be very easily described as Snake Eyes rescuing Scarlet from the Silent Castle, but Scarlet rescues herself and then rescues mm. Snake Eyes. Who also saves her. Yes. While she's attempting to sacrifice herself for him. It's It's... Or something you can literally read through in five minutes if you weren't paying attention to anything. It tells such a complex story just between those two characters. 
I'm also noticing Storm Shadow has blue eyes here, which is a little weird. Yes. <laughs> Not sure well, about you know. that one. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's absolutely wonderful. And, then of course, at the end, the final two panels, the the shocking revelation that there is some connection between Snake Eyes and this new ninja character, Storm Shadow. Uh, which is but, amazing, too, because that's... Larry had no idea, but that's what page 22 of the book on page 20. He did not know that was going to be how he finished that. It, he just had written in that their sleeves had gotten ripped and decided, well, let's give them matching tattoos and we'll expound upon that later. <laughs> and that's how he did things. He did not have, and I think we've talked about it before. And if, and if we haven't, it was mentioned on the Larry Hama episodes, of the needless things podcast, uh, where we did live panels with him at Dragon Con, um, you know, he didn't plan ahead. He wrote uh, uh, as each issue came. There, there was no grand plan, partially because that's just he believed in following the characters more so than directing the characters. Uh, but also, you know, working with Hasbro in the way that they did, he never knew when a character might be taken away or added in. So, it, you know, it would be hard to to have a, a long term arc in that way. So, I mean, I, I don't think we even need to rate it. Uh, this is often referred to as one of the greatest comic books of all time, one of the greatest instance, instances of sequential storytelling. Uh, it, it's fantastic. It's a must read. Absolutely. And I I just want to toss one more thing out there. Uh, having worked in comic stores uh, from the from 1992 to about 2012. Um, this, for as important and groundbreaking as this was, it was kind of lost to time. You know, when, when the G.I. Joe comics fell out of favor, this meant nothing to nobody. And as much as I give Wizard Comics Magazine grief, when they wrote an article letting people know, hey, there's this amazing issue of G.I. Joe out there, it put all these eyes back on it. So I, I do give Wizard uh, some credit for, for getting this back to the masses so that everybody knows that, you know, if you only ever check out one issue of the, of the Marvel run of G.I. Joe, this is the one. And it wasn't even that well-received by a lot of people when it first came out. Mm -hmm. um, the postbox, the pit, the letters column that they did uh, a couple issues later were people just dogging on this comic for being, like, too simplistic. And, you know, I, I was done with this comic in five minutes. I don't feel like it was worth the 75 cents or 60 cents, I think, that it cost at this point in time was the cover cost, which is just mind-blowing to think that the comic <laughs> used to cost 60 cents when they went up to 75 i was like oh no i'm gonna have to mow more lawns <laughs> um but yeah I mean, it wasn't that well received by a lot of the 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 people who were reading gi joe at the time it's really kind of in retrospect has become a classic and just a a, a master class on how to tell a narrative uh in in comic book stories and for the listeners, this uh, 30th anniversary edition that I was referring to is still available. You can order it direct from IDW. I'm sure you can get it on Amazon. So it's uh, it's still out there, and you can get your hands on it if you want a copy. But also, 
Uh, you can, you know, you can find the original comics. You can find the trade collections that Marvel and IDW have done. Like it, it is readily available, and I highly recommend it. All right, any final thoughts on that? I mean, I could talk about this comic for hours. <laughs> well, um, we don't have hours for hours. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, the everything from the pacing, the you know, each, each page having like its own mini story um, with with the way that these action scenes are paced. Um, you would think that Larry was you know storyboarding these comics every issue. You almost wish he kind of did sometimes <laughs> from yeah. reading this because this one flows better than most Joe comics that were planned and produced over the course of you know six weeks rather than three. Well, awesome. You guys, it is now time to look beyond the 80s. And we are back to take a look at G.I. Joe Beyond the 80s. Sure, we all love those early waves, but what happened when Joe stopped being realistic military and went neon? So my pick for this month uh, it actually is kind of a shout out to my younger brother, who was still very much into G.I. Joe <clears throat> at this time. Um, and that is the Supersonic Fighters from 1992. Uh, for those listeners who were maybe too young back then, uh, you Home Alone came out in 1990. And it seemed like after that movie, little keychains with sound effects were everywhere. They were the fidget spinners of the early 90s oh my gosh you're right and so of course gi joe had to capitalize on this and in 1991 we got sonic fighters joe's that had backpacks and you could push the button and it would make one of these sounds well in 1992 we got these supersonic fighters where they had sounds and lights and that's what I want to talk about. So in this wave, we got everybody's favorite. And I say that with a lot of irony, Lieutenant Falcon. We have a new version of major blood, uh, who is grenaded from like head to toe. He looks like a centurion, <laughs> right? Uh, surprisingly, we get our third version of Psych Out, which who would have thought, but he works so well in this line. We get the infamous Road Pig with his <laughs> uh, green and orange look. Do, orange. do you think this is the Road Pig look Lenny is talking about for classified? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, probably, I think, yeah. I think he yeah. does mention that. Definitely yeah. definitely getting supersonic fighters road pig and classified. Use a little bit too much uh, bronzer that day. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that nice hot dog tan like Hulk Hogan. <laughs> so we get another version of rock and roll, and we get a new version of Zap. Now, with these, 
um, at least with the supersonic fighters, besides the addition of the lights. So the backpacks were, some of them are also work as not backpacks, right? So like rock and roll, his backpack sound thing can actually work as a stand because it came with like a separate piece, almost looks like a, you know, one of those like traffic cones that you can attach to it and then put his machine gun onto that. So he has a stand. Um, same thing, I think it was with Zap. Um, his is also like a little mini one tread tank that can fight beside him. Major Bloods is actually a jet pack. Um, so my, my brother, my younger brother was the perfect demographic for this. And, and besides Ninja Force, this was one of the first waves that I remember he was actively asking our parents to take him to the toy store so that he could get the whole wave. Um, and G.I. Joe continued this with, with other sublines as well. Um, they supported this subset of figures with what now might be my second favorite G.I. Joe toy commercial of all time. <laughs> the, you can find it on YouTube. Just type in G.I. Joe Supersonic Fighters. It is an assault on your senses. It is truly that. <laughs> it is 15 seconds of just pure overkill. Of glory. They, <laughs> they, they not only have to hit all of the sound effects um, and listeners, you have to understand these sound effects were so much a product of the 90s. They were a step up from the weird buzzer sound your Kinner Star Wars toys made. Um, you don't you don't remember the uh, the part in A New Hope where Luke shoots the Death Star and his X-Wing goes. <laughs> <laughs> these I sounded... wish somebody would do. I wish somebody would just cut together scenes from Star Wars with the toy noises <laughs> dubbed in. That's it's probably exists already on YouTube. But these these sounded like the bad ringtones, like the gag ringtones that come with cell phones now um so it, it's it's all these sounds and they have like picture in picture of the different figures and they throw up what they think is the phonetic spelling of the sound effects <laughs> and my favorite is like you have this sound effect going nah, nah, nah. and on the screen it says zock 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 i'm like what that sounds nothing like that. <laughs> um, and in they feature the toys in this commercial, but in one shot, they have a live actor dressed as Lieutenant Falcon with a backpack that was made. What? <laughs> like a like, giant prop helicopter backpack. Yeah. It because I had to watch that commercial a few times to make sure that I was not hallucinating that it wasn't stop motion. <laughs> and no, they they made that costume for him. Um, like I said, the the road pig in this line, 
uh, went from being like a Mad Max, you know, warrior to seriously, if he's not a manager in the WWE, it would have been WWF. I mean, he wouldn't be time. a manager. This, this guy looks like Sting and uh, yeah, <laughs> he's got just a massive mountain of flesh had a child. Like, of orange this flesh. bright orange <laughs> yeah. hair this weird orange tan skin and then all of his accessories because right this point gi joe was like let's make the accessories as garish as we can and his his guns his football pads they're all the exact same well, your, your flamethrower has to match hair. your hair right 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 so you're just not doing it right <laughs> um so with the sound effects on these, each figure, the buttons were in a different configuration. So each figure had their own un- quote unquote unique sound effects. Maybe some of them shared, you know, a button here or there. Um, and something I, I learned uh, from a YouTube video was that if you actually took the backpack apart, every single one of the figures, the the chip inside, it's all identical. So instead of giving the characters the options to be able to have all the sound effects, Hasbro just drilled random holes to limit it. I think each card actually, each chip actually had eight sound effects oh i get it. what you're mm-hmm. saying so each and button so would activate a different sound so the pat the patterns are right. what we're looking at here correct so so if you if you drilled these other holes into the backpacks and added a button you could actually act i don't recommend that for any of our <laughs> listeners there is a really awesome video on youtube please watch it and see uh you know what he did um but i just thought that was fascinating that you know i don't think it would have cost any more for hasbro to go ahead and just say each backpack you know eight electronic sounds and lights but from a marketing standpoint i think it was smart on their part because sure, sure. now you can make it seem like each one has gotten this unique individual well, sound pack Look, if I if I was a kid playing with these, I'd be disappointed if they all made the same eight sounds. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have wanted that as a kid. I would want each one to to have a unique combination of sounds. Yeah, same here. And as a parent, I would not have wanted all eight. <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted anything of those sounds. Any Don't sounds. buy the toys that make the noise, as I heard in a stand-up comedy bit one time. <laughs> But for as as loud as these figures can be, and I'm talking just from like how they look, not just the sound effects, yeah. um, you get some actually cool figures. Like to me, the the accessories, once you plug everything into um, Psych Out, it's, you know, he, he's got this cool little communication station. Well, like uh, you were saying, which makes the, more sense than you know. Oh, I have little satellites on my elbows and my knees. The, like you were saying, the ones that the the 
backpack or the electronic unit actually turns into sort of a separate little console type thing, I think are much more successful. I, I, I actually, yeah. to me, psych out is the big winner out of this line. I, I think he looks the best. He has an updated design that still seems like psych out. Like it's completely different from the original psych out, but just using that code name and what his specialty is like, I love this weird half helmet. Like this is completely something out of a nineties syndicated sci-fi TV show. Mm -hmm. Uh, His chest shields are really bizarre, but okay. His, his color scheme is not egregiously bad. It's it's pretty blue. I mean, he's pretty blue, but he's standing standing (laughs) next to road pig, who is a literal nightmare of color. But and, when you look at even, the other Joes, like Zap and, and Falcon are, are not really garish. They're actually a little bit more traditional military than well, a lot of what I was mean, going on at the time. Let's I, face it. It doesn't matter which wave he's in. Falcon is always going to be the most boring G.I. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, actually, I do think it's interesting that like you have you've got three that are just repaints of previous figures. And then they actually tooled three entirely new molds for this. Oh, okay. I love- which ones? Which ones are the totally new? Is it Major Blood, Psych Out, and Zap? Yep, Major yeah. Blood, Psych Out, and Zap are all are all new, and then the other three are just repaints of previous versions. Um, and I I love that Major Blood um, with all the with all the I do grenades not. all over him. Oh, really? really? I do not like that Major Blood, and I do not like that Zap because the major blood with the the grenades are just ridiculous. It's too many grenades, major Sebastian. You cannot, (laughs) you can't do that. It looks so. But let me. The sonic disruptor gun with a muzzle, because why do you need a muzzle for a sonic lesson? The sound of a sonic weapon. But even, even like I was in college like my freshman year of college when these came out. And I still thought when I saw that, I was like, that is an awesome gun. Like ignore that it's a muzzle. Just figure that it's actually more of like a, an amplifier. And well, and I it, love it, that weapon. The Okay. Most of the weapons with these go straight in the trash because they're gigantic. It's not even the colors that bother me. It's the <laughs> fact that they look like they're for six inch figures. Yeah. Um, and, and the shame of it is this, this yellow rifle that comes with major blood was used a lot later on in the line, like in the uh, late nineties, early two thousands line. I think mm-hmm. this gun popped up because I, I have a handful of this unfortunate rifle the sonic disruptor is giant it looks like like it's a two-handed weapon it almost looks like uh in guardians the giant cannon that they use at the end of the movie to shoot ronan it's kind of like that so i like it it looks like almost like a mars type thing i'm down with that i like his backpack uh but those grenade two grenades tastefully attached to a chest bandolier or web gear <laughs> that's all you can do you never you never go full grenades Did you, oh i guess are you just yeah, on my are you just on my band monkey wrench because monkey wrench is wearing a whole bunch of them that's different because monkey wrench is like just a nut job major <laughs> blood is supposed to be smarter than to wear what? 
How how many how many but grenades think about does it. this you're, idiot you're have flying. strapped to him? He has a jetpack, so you are flying over hang, battle. Hang on. And we need... all he has to do is just drop, 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 One, drop, drop. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen grenades. Sixteen this man grenades. has on his person. Look, he comes prepared. Yeah. <laughs> he comes in little bitty pieces because his grenades blew him the heck up. Ridiculous. Uh, I don't like this blood sculpt at all, but I do like these colors because I like the idea that Major Blood does from time to time wear a uniform that kind of affiliates him with Cobra a little more directly. So I, I dig him in this color scheme. I just don't like the sculpt. And then Zap, who's getting ready to blow his head off with these four <laughs> rockets strapped to his chest. He's a he's a bazooka soldier. Those are going to go into his bazooka that he on doesn't his chest? carry. That's not where you carry those, fella. And <laughs> That's I not also... where you carry those. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like his giant leg protection. That actually makes a lot of sense. I don't like his little silver gloves, though. It's so <laughs> weird looking to me. Well, and in doing more investigating, because like. <sighs> My younger brother was, you know, elementary school age at this point. So honestly, accessories were lost fairly quickly. Um, so by the time I got to see these, Zap already did not have like his helmet. Um, and I was surprised to see online that that there has been a great debate in G.I. Joe collectors over all the years of how Zap is supposed to wear his helmet because it does the not cut look of right. it. The cut of it is so weird because it it shows on the artwork like the visor with the little um, lip and but the back of the helmet doesn't cover the whole back of his head. It's cut higher than where the lip and the visor is. So I guess over the years and in some promotional materials, they put the helmet on backwards on Zap leading to people being confused so once i i was like looking at it i was like man i don't like his like i can see the flaws on him more than i can any of the other figures because his stuff just looks clunky i like the design of the helmet it just should sit lower so the visor actually goes over his eyes it looks like it's just not hollow enough yeah. Like, like if, if that same helmet just sat lower on his head, I think it'd be fine. And it, there's a part of me that, that wishes they could have done more like the, you know, 82, 83 figures where give me an actual separate clear visor yeah. piece. But by this time, on. but they, right. They had yeah. stopped with all of that. Got uh, it. I like, I like Zap's colors aside from his little silver gloves. I like Zap's color scheme here. I love his head sculpt. Uh, I actually like his, cause he's got two different rocket launchers that are like sci-fi kind of wild looking appropriate for the time. So his being gigantic kind of works for me, uh, especially considering they plug onto his little mini tank apparatus. I, I think I the, really the silver gloves and the shells strapped to his chest are the only th- problems I have with this guy overall. What about the, the kids boots? I'm okay. And you know, it's funny in my notes. Hang on. Wait, wait, wait. Zap got called into duty on his way to a kiss concert. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, it's not quite as bad as the his tank drivers, which are look like uh, they're inspired by directly by Gene Simmons. I I honestly would say these are worse. I'm well, not worse. I mean, better, but worse. Yeah, to me, they look like they don't because look like they're thigh high boots. They look like they're padding. To they look like armor, and if you notice, they're actually they're hydraulic pistons on the bottom mm-hmm. for support while he's shooting his gigantic rocket launchers which is very very silly but also makes sense and to toss one more thing at you uh so look at him look at that face sculpt and tell me that zap is not secretly clark gable frozen (laughs) i was was gonna say charles bronson yeah yeah (laughs) see the charles bronson yep but yeah either one you could go either way with that here, here's a little piece of trivia I found out is that he came with uh, his weapons came cast either in gray or silver. Can you imagine being a little kid with gray zap weapons and finding out there were silver ones that you didn't get? I would have been furious. Yeah. I would want the silver weapons. Shiny right. was always better when it came to action figure accessories. So what have we, we, we have, okay, real quick, Falcon, as as you mentioned, Falcon, kind of the most drab one. I like his color scheme. I like the digital camo. The only thing I don't like his gray boots. If those boots were black or even brown. Yeah. Just to, just to have a little contrast. I mean, the gray boots, I would not mind that if his, if the rest of his fatigues were not that same exact gray. Just with the black uh, digital camo on it, I just feel like they're yelling at me in a very drab and boring way. Yeah. Like they're they jump out of all the camo and the everything about this figure. Those boots are the first thing I see. Yeah, I, a black paint application would have enhanced that quite a bit. So that, yeah, it's, that's that's an odd choice to leave them gray. I don't know if they just was a cost cutting measure after putting all those other paint applications. Right. On them. Right. Mm-hmm. Because he's, I mean, he's got some nice deco hits, uh, not on his sleeves, but that's okay. Uh, and then he's got a helicopter pack, which uh, give me, give me a toy helicopter backpack any day <laughs> of the week. I'll take it. I don't think that's um, a very viable helicopter, though. Those do it's, not look like working helicopter blades. Yeah, that's not really how helicopters work, but <laughs> it's okay. it almost, it almost to me looks like maybe they started out to make something aquatic because it looks more like a propeller. It does. And it then does. maybe at the last second they were like, uh no. They, they well, they realized if you put it on the figure the other way, it would cut its legs off. And they were like, Well, this <laughs> this doesn't work. I guess it's a helicopter and just flipped it over. <laughs> um okay Okay. so major blood we didn't really talk about rock and roll much i i don't want to talk about Uh, really he's got the best accessories but the figure is just awful (laughs) well i okay so i'm a big fan of version two of rock and roll yeah i like this sculpt a lot and i'll say Okay, first of all, are these is this red or orange? I can't tell from this picture. It's bright, bright orange. Yeah, which is horrible. It's like a hunter's orange. I kind of thought of it as like a yeah, reddish orange. Okay, if you look at it's not color crown red. If you look at the uh, the gear pictures 
it is clearly orange. If that orange was literally any other color in the rainbow, this figure would be fine. Because the brown and the green work. Yeah. If that was if that orange was black or gray or a darker green or tan, anything other than this horrible orange. Like I wish way back then that I had known about version two rock and roll because I would have put that in place of this, like snuck him in to my brother's toy box and just chucked version three. So real, real quick sidebar. Let me tell you my little version two rock and roll story. So I've mentioned before on the show, my very first eBay purchases were the 12 inch GI Joe hall of fame figures, the, the target ones. Mm-hmm. And I got the rock and roll and I had, I did not understand why he looked like he looked. I'd never seen version two rock and roll. And years later I did. And I was like, Whoa, that's <laughs> what that's meant to be. I didn't even, I, I had no idea because I was just baffled as to why they would do that and then came to find out later on that that's what a lot of the hall of fame ones were i I had no idea i thought they just made those designs up for those 12 inch figures i didn't know that and 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 to this day it boggles my mind as to why they didn't base them off the original joe designs seems like such an odd thing but in the 90s when those came out nostalgia wasn't what it is now right yeah because the 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 blue um paintball mask snake eyes eyes would have been like the the most most recent recent snake eyes well they were trying to gather they were trying to get people who probably played with those figures uh, you know a year or two right it was considered what was current nobody even thought like oh people that played with the 80s ones are going to want these because if you think about it it wasn't until like the 2000s where we started getting like the masters of the universe Mm -hmm. uh when they re-released the original masters figures Mm -hmm. um then we would get the wwe classic superstars from jacks that was the first time anybody had ever made figures of old wrestlers well that's well and that's a it hadn't occurred to anybody kids played with toys and they grew up and they stopped playing with toys and that was that was the way that the world worked for all those years it wasn't until those 80s kids really had that because when you think about even transformers generation 2 came out and when i was a kid i was really excited and then i saw what the transformers generation 2 figures look like and i was like why do they give them these terrible colors why why are these different molds i don't you know so so it didn't like they could have hooked me back in then but they didn't because because it was still about refreshing the franchise at that right. point and not they were only about... using those they were only using those molds to save cost they yeah. weren't using them to try to draw old fans back in yeah because it, but that i'll wasn't tell even you that that generation two is what got my younger brother into transformers sure you know like i was a transformers kid and he had some but he did not get into i need these until those god-awful colors <laughs> like there was just something in the water in the 90s that told kids you want 
your stuff to look as horrible as possible. <laughs> so speaking of just to, to wrap this up, speaking of horrible as possible, uh, this road pig completely fails the test because he does not come with a cinder block on a stick, which is the bare minimum requirement yeah. for a good road pig figure. So also, this his, guy's got to go. His file card says something about drinking orange soda and powdered or, and chocolate donuts, and that's not what the the, the dreadnoughts do. They 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 drink grape, grape soda. Soda. Grape. So yeah, I was a little. I was like, Larry Hama clearly did not write that file card. Yeah, here it is. Gross. You could say that Road Pig doesn't drink orange soda and eat nutritious and yummy chocolate covered donuts like the other dreadnoughts. But you know why? Because the other dreadnoughts don't drink orange soda, loser. <laughs> Rape soda. You got too much orange on your brain making this orange figure I, with I, orange hair and orange accessories. But I, so, I, he I look, feel he looks like... like he came out of a bag of Cheetos. <laughs> He's the disco skeletor. Of the G.I. Joe line. Yeah. Because he remember once the 25th anniversary, 50th, all that went to the, you know, the subscription service, he got a G.I. Joe Collectors Club figure done of him. And I'm not for sure if any of the other, you know, supersonic fighters got that in their supersonic fighter look. Shameful. And that Phantomaniacs is just a sampling of the fun we have over on Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. I hope you have enjoyed uh, this little diversion that we was necess- uh, necessitated this week. Um, and to go back, I don't know exactly where I picked up my case of COVID. Uh, we're all pretty darn careful. Uh, I'm not sure where it came from. I know the whole family had it has it whatever we're still getting over it uh but like i said just be as careful as you can be be responsible do the right thing uh unless you've got a really really good reason uh and any win is not a good reason uh go get vaccinated and uh just look out for your fellow man maybe maybe don't be a dick bag and actually do the right thing and be responsible uh, and let's try and get rid of this thing uh so needless things youtube channel go check it out uh needless things podcast facebook group uh, everything's been dead for the last week uh, the the instagram page phantom troublemaker on instagram uh everything's been relatively dead because i just i have no energy i have nothing to nothing to put out there really because i haven't <clears throat> excuse me i haven't been able to do much uh but hopefully next week things will get back into the swing of things and uh, like I said, we got a very important needless commentary that we got to get done this month uh, and then move on into the future. And I got to tell you right now, I'm a little gun shy about being in public at all. Uh, Toylanta, I believe, is the next convention. And, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I've definitely plan on, as of now, I plan on being there because my hope is that things will have cleared up a little bit. Uh, you know, by by then it's going to be 90 degrees in Georgia, so the temp- oh, weather's going to be better out. But uh, anyway, thanks for listening, you guys. Take care. I love you. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh.